Hello and welcome to the Scottish Clans Podcast. Thanks for joining me today. This is Clint Edwards and we are going to have some things to talk about, me and you. We're going to be discussing the part two of the clans of the Jacobite Risings or Jacobite Rebellions, depending on maybe what viewpoint you're looking at this from. Anyway, I have had some great feedback and I won't so once again, I'll just talk about how the feedback works on the show. I, after I post an episode or publish an episode, I go out to a lot of the Facebook pages that are geared towards Scottish clans, whether it's an individual Scottish clan Facebook page or group, or whether it's a general Scottish clan or a Scottish history type of web uh, Facebook page. And I let them know, hey, and I'll make a post. I, I've got something out that you might be interested in. I'm not charging anything. Here it is. And there are comments and posts to that that I think are are legit and good, but if but I can't I just time wise cannot track down I I do see them and I try to either like them or maybe drop a quick comment to them and engage a little bit there. But as far as when it comes down set time for me to record a podcast or an episode, I just don't have time to reach out to all those different. Facebook pages. So if you have something that you want to have addressed on the listener feedback, which I try to get a little bit of every episode, then I, uh, I, I encourage you to go to the Scottish Clans Facebook page and make the comment there. You can comment where I've posted. Every episode is posted on that and you can comment on that or send a message to Scottish Clans. Um, like I've mentioned before, and I just haven't buckled down and got time to do this recently, but I want to switch this op- over from a Scott, uh, Facebook page to a group so that we can get a little bit ill. I think that will facilitate interaction with everybody's stuff because I don't think you guys, when you're sending a message to me via the Scottish Clans Facebook page, I don't think everybody can see it. So I try to, when somebody has made the effort to do that, then I can incorporate it into the episode. So if you want it brought into the conversation... Yeah, go ahead and post on that Facebook page or wherever you saw the episode, but then come on over to the Scottish Clans Facebook page and make it there just so I can consolidate comments. So I have comments that I want to get to from the Scottish Clans Facebook page that are directly dealing with the subject of our episode on the Jacobite Rebellions, and then maybe a couple that don't. Maybe I'll start with the ones who don't, that don't really focus on that directly, and then I'll come back to Sam Reed who gave me a a stellar response from the last episode that we did. So first I'm going to start with, with it, it says Becky Campbell, but this, it says, hi, this is actually Sherman Campbell, Becky's husband. I just finished your episode on Clan Hatton and found it very interesting. My grandmother is a McPherson, and I've been doing some family history on that line. Thanks for the insight. Okay, that's cool, Sherman. So appreciate you reaching out and using your wife's Facebook account and... And getting in touch with me. Thank you for for the for the feedback on that. The next one I want to go to is Emma Coben or Coben, C O B B A N. I'm going to share with you because she this is an actual question, but it regards family history. Now, just so everybody knows, I am not a family history expert. I study the history where my family comes from and where your families come from. And, but I'm not, there are people who have studied how to trace those lines farther back and how to dig up new names and make sure that they're solid, not just, hey, I think this guy is my great granddaddy, so I'm going to put him on my family tree. So this question maybe straddles that, that, those two categories there. Let me just read it. Hi, I'm trying to find out which clan my ancestors on my father's side belonged to and what my tartan would be. I have been studying my family tree, and my great-grandma on my father's side was a MacLeod before marrying and taking my family name, and my great-great-grandma on my dad's mum's side was MacDonald. I'm trying to trace my family name and what clan they would have belonged to, and I'm not sure how I would start to investigate. I've tried putting my surname in various sites, to find out, but nothing comes up. Any advice would be much appreciated. So Emma, I'm assuming that Coben or Coben is your name and not a married name. So there's one assumption. And so that's the name that you're, is the, I'm tracking that that's the name that you're trying to figure out. Well, 
I, I don't know about where that specific surname comes. I'm not familiar with Coben or Coben. Now, if it's pronounced Coben and it ever once at, was time, at one time was pronounced Coben and maybe it drifted to Coben, then I can think of maybe a possible origin. You see, the Gallic word, one of the ways of pronouncing the Gallic word for smith, a smith, somebody who works with metal, is Gobin or Gowan or Govin. And so maybe there's some tie in there, but then it would be more of a trade name rather than a, a kindred name, which they can, they can be both. They can overlap. But the, the problem you have there is that you might find completely independent. If you're talking about the, the surname, I'm just going to leave Coben or Coben, and I'm going to go to, to Gowan, Govin, Gobin. I actually have Gobin in my family tree, G-O-B-E-N, from Ireland. And so you might have, let's just say Gobin, you, you might have that name pop up independently all over Scotland just because they were smiths and it has nothing to do with them being connected in some kind of a clan setting. Now, as far as what clan you're from, and you're t- you're, you mentioned two grandmothers of, of different generations on your dad's side, and so which... Tartan, you, you asked maybe what Tartan do I, what my, what, which clan my ancestors on my father's side belong to and what my Tartan would be. Okay, well, Emma, don't, don't get too locked in on getting super tight about which Tartan you wear. Keep in mind that's a relatively modern convention when we're talking about being able to look at the, the colors on somebody's kilt and the way the colors are organized and bingo, you're from this clan. That that came up about very late. If you look at portraits of Highland gentlemen from the 1600s-ish, maybe even the 1700s, you see them. You see them wearing their their vest or waistcoat might be of one tartan. Their hose or their stockings might be from a different one and their kilt would be from a completely different one. I mean, they might be wearing three different tartans on them. They, so if you're looking at this from an historical perspective, now I know that since then it's got, it's tightened up a little bit, but this is a history podcast and we're looking at it from that lens. Don't worry about it. Now, if you want to worry about it, then that's cool. It's a, I'm a big fan of freedom. So... Do you go, are you, are you wondering, do you go with McLeod or McDonald or do you find out where the, the Cobbins came from or Cobbins? And so there's diff, there's three different routes you could take from, I don't, look, my Scottish ancestry is not, it's not my surname. Now, this is kind of an interesting, I've addressed this in an earlier episode, but I'll bring it back up again. So this concept of, uh, first of all, wearing kilts at all, but second of all, wearing kilts with a tartan on it that you would connect with a specific family or surname or district or region, that's spreading. So you have, because let's face it, kilts are cool. I don't know if there's anybody listening to this podcast that doesn't think kilts are cool. And, and And I admit, even though I mentioned that it's a relatively modern convention that you can look at somebody's tartan on their kilt and say, oh, you're from this clan, even though that's not when you go back in the days of the clans when they were, no kidding, the basis for the social structure of Scotland and that it wasn't so much like that back then, I am in favor of that being a thing. We've had so much encroachment on Highland culture. The language has suffered dramatic setbacks even just since the 1800s. If you look at areas that were Gaelic-speaking in the 1800s and versus... Let's say before the Highland Clearances, and I know that was a span of length of time. You can maybe even start that in the 1700s. I got it. But let's say like the, the first half of the 1800s, the, the number of Gaelic speakers and the extent to which Gaelic was speaking geographically in Scotland was significantly different. And if you... And, and so, the, so there is a, there's a case where we see encroachment on Highland culture. All right, so I just had my little girl come in here, and 
you probably heard her voice there for a second before I pressed stop on the recording. And she told me what she had to tell me. And then I said, okay, now go out and because Daddy's recording a podcast. And you know what she told me? But Daddy didn't have any snuggles. And she's three. And I'm completely defenseless against that. And so I've got her sitting right next to me. She's eating a Pringles chip. And she's snuggling with Daddy while I'm recording this. So if you hear anything, that's that's what's going on. All right. So the the concept of this of the kilt and the tartan spreading so you can if if you have welsh ancestry you can go back to wales and you can look up the tartan for hughes and griffiths and edwards and llewellyn and evans and jones and williams and all these cool welsh names and and i i'm in totally i'm totally in favor of that to be honest with you i don't own a kilt yet my wife isn't completely sold that that's the best route for, for, uh, for my life and for the best use of that much money. I do have a couple different tartan ties, so I'm not a complete holdout on this one, but um, I don't have a kilt, and I haven't decided, like, okay, so I have McFarlane ancestry, but then this is where I was tying this in. If It's back there a while, ab- about the same extent to which Emma's McLeod and McDonald ancestry is. And so do I get a McFarlane tartan or on my dad's side of the family, I have Lusk ancestry and it's about the same distance back up the family tree. Do I, because it's on my dad's side, prefer the Lusk over the McFarlane? I I don't know. Or maybe I just go with the whole concept of other Celts adopting this Highland Gallic dress and maybe I just get one with the Edwards tartan, even though historically no such thing existed. But are they, in that case, are they that much different than the Camerons? If you go back to the 15, 16, early 1700s, was there such thing as a Cameron tartan? I, I don't think there was, actually, based on what I've read about this subject. So I guess I'm just sharing all this because this is a really interesting topic as it relates to clans and who we are today and our identity and we want to identify with our ancestors. So how I think Emma's question just strikes at the heart of how exactly do we do that? And I guess my ultimate response was, hey, look, McLeod, McDonald, if there's if the if Coben or Coben is actually uh, a uh, if, they, if, they, if that's a Scottish surname, there's a tartan associated with that. I don't think you're wrong in any case. There might be people who f- have much stronger feelings about this than I do, but looking at this from a historical perspective has, has softened my view on this. So I would say, do what you think's best. Now, when it comes to the McLeods and McDonald's, which one do you go with? Because you have the McLeods of Lewis, and you have the McLeods of Harris and Dunvegan. Um, even they had branches. You had the McLeods of Her- Lewis had... A branches like the McLeods of Ascent and the McLeods of Rossi. What about the McDonald's? If you look this up, each different major branch of the McDonald's has their own tartan. You got the McLeod or the McDonald's of Clan Ronald. Clan Ronald, they have their own set versus the Glengarry McDonald's or the Kepic or the Glencoes or the or the Islas or the Dunny Vague. Maybe the McLeod or the McDonald's of Antrim in Northern Ireland. Maybe they have. I don't. I don't know how how deep you can get into this, but maybe if you can find out what part of Scotland you came from, and thus likely which branch your ancestors were tied in with, or just get one that you think looks good. To be honest with you, as a somebody who studies about the clans rigorously, I would say. I would I would wouldn't have a hard time or any heartburn with any approach. And if I walked up and saw somebody with a kilt on, and they said, "Yeah, this is the Hughes Tartan. I'm from Wales," or they were from Northern Ireland, and I don't I don't know. And they said, "They have this is the T- County Tyrone Tartan." I I wouldn't have a problem with any of that really. I'm all about as much encroachment as the Highland culture has had. I'm all about that pushing back out and other people adopting stuff like lowlanders who back in the 1500s or 1600s, whenever the kilt started to be worn, probably would not have 
found themselves being war- wearing anything that would tie them to those crazy barbarians up in the north part of the country in the mountains. So there you go. That's my approach to that. So I think after that, it's just really, Emma, it's an it's a issue of genealogy. Where, how far back? And now, as far as that's concerned, there's other people who could help you out a lot better than I could on that one. All right, now I'm going to get to Sam Reed. By the way, thank you, Emma, for that. And I hope that I treated your question with the, de- the degree of seriousness to which I, I hope I wasn't flippant at all about that. I hope you're satisfied with that response. All right, now to Sam Reed. He, he has commented in this podcast before, and this is somebody who really gets into this and, and studies this and has read books on this, and he's read, as far as the Jacobite rebellions or risings are concerned, he's read a lot more than I have. So I would actually like to just read to you some of the things he shared with me on his comment that I think might be beneficial to anybody else who's interested in clans and Jacobites and Scottish history in general. First of all, he says, Great episode. I think you're spot on with continuing the conversation of what is a clan when considering who was and wasn't a Jacobite in 1745-46. Although clan regiments formed the core of Prince Charles' army at the start, many of the troops in his army were formed into regional units that did not have a single clan affiliation. These included the Athol Brigade, which had Robertson clansmen as well as tenants of the Duke of Athol, who were Highland and Gaelic, but didn't necessarily view the Duke as the head of their kindred. Okay, and, the, and so, so far, just to have a break in Sam's comment here, so you're talking about people being called up and joining the side and being mustered on the bounds of region rather than clan affiliation. What I would be w- wondering about... Sam, is when you break the regiment down into subordinate echelons, like, so the regiment would be similar to a brigade size element, so the the next echelon down would be a battalion, and I don't know if, if Bonnie Prince Charlie's forces were organized like this, I'm just telling you from my own military experience, below a brigade or a regiment you have battalions, and then you have, battalions are made up of companies that are made up of platoons. What I would wonder is, so if they're being called up on these regional concepts, if the subordinate echelons wouldn't be organized more along clan lines. So you got these, the Robertsons that are flocking and, and fighting really under the Duke of Athol's or the Earl of Athol's, the Duke of Athol at this time, under his banner, if they made up one or two companies of, let's say, 100 men each, roughly, would they be commanded by the Dinu Wussel from their own clan, the gentry of their own clan? I wonder about that. Also, something that's interesting that, here that ties back into our d- discussion on the Scottish, the Tartans, is, th- so Tartans, if there's any kind of historical identification, like tying it into actual historical basis and not modern convention, if there was any truth to being able to identify somebody by their tartan, it'd be on a regional basis, similar to how we're seeing these forces drawn up. So the uh, so we see the uh, if you were able, so there might, may have been certain tartans associated with like the Lennox district or Lochaber or Strathnaver up in the Mackay country, very far north. Okay, so we, we might be able to see that. Okay, I'm going to continue on with Sam's comment here. Other regiments like this were the Duke of Perth's, Ogilvy's, Forfarshire Regiment, the Earl, the Earl of Cromarty's, Gordon of Glen Bucket's, and Lord Lewis Gordon's Regiment. There was also an effort, although I have not been able to determine how successful it was, to clothe the entire army in tartan, so lowland Jacobites in some cases may have been issued plaids, plaids, hose, and tartan coats, and so looked like their Highland comrades. I think by the 45 region had more influence than surname when it came to which side one fought on. And I'm going to get to that actually with the point of this whole episode. So back to the Sams. There are a good number of Campbells in Keppock's regiment, including the Piper Donald Campbell, which is interesting because, okay, I'm going to pause in the comment real quick. You have... 
the one of the most famous feuds and one of the bloodiest in Scottish history would be the McDonald's and, and Campbell's, surely. In the 1600s, in the name of the Wars of the Three Kingdoms and the Civil Wars, you had you have Alastair Macaulagasta, McDonald, coming from Northern Ireland with a bunch of his Irish buddies, linking up with his Scottish McDonald kinsmen and laying waste to some Campbell territory. And I don't know what the body count there was, but it had to have qualified it. So I, and so I've seen some of these other claims that, oh, this feud or that was the bloodiest in Scottish history. But they're not McDonald and Campbell's. Sometimes I wonder, but it'd be hard to tell, really. It'd be hard to really get a, like, how do you, how do you even, anyway. So, in, and in, so Sam mentions here that you have Cam- Campbell's in Kepik's regiment, McDonald of Kepik, fighting together side by side. And I'd be, one, I'd be curious to know which Campbell's those were, Sam. So if you have any information on that, that would be pretty interesting to me. I have already found that in the 1715, Campbell's from Glen Lyon joined the Jacobite side, even though the Campbell's were overwhelmingly Hanoverian folks. Um, so including the, so back to Sam's quote, including the Piper Donald Campbell. Many Clan Ronald taxmen, so that would be the Clan Gentry, did not allow their men to join, even though the son of the chief had rallied, quote-unquote, the Clan. You also touched on those clans that had switched sides between 1715 and 1745, which included the Mackenzies of Seaforth and the Macdonalds of Slate, no quarter given. The muster roll of Prince Charles Edward Stuart's army is an incomplete but enlightening source for tracking ancestors during the rebellion. Stuart reads book The Scottish Jacobite Army 1745 to 46 is a nice little book which explains the different formations in the Jacobite Army from clan regiments to more feudal levies. All right, so folks, there you have Sam Reed's comment there. I think that's valuable insight and he also provided you with some source material to read if you wanted to dive into this further. And I'm going to go from there into the actual material that I wanted to give. Uh, the, the the whole episode is based around um, because we do we do it, I think that's just a nice flow from Sam's comment into what I w- really wanted to get to. So what is the what is the difference? W- what do we see by looking at the 1715 rebellion? I know it's been two weeks since my previous episode and I'd like to keep it a little tighter more between seven to ten days between episodes but this is a project that I really wanted to develop and work out and it took me a little time a little bit here a little bit there to dial in on finding out what I wanted to find out and so to catch you up if you're just barely listening to this one and you didn't listen to the last episode what I'm doing here is I am and I'm straightforward with the sources here I'm using Wikipedia because I can cover the most ground the quickest I do not have time to dive in to all the independent sources on each individual clan to find out what side they took in the Jacobite risings of 1715 or 1745 the last episode was focused on 1745 this episode's focused on 1715 with a little bit of commentary on where we see things going in comparison so we're ba- time wise we're going backwards which I apologize for and I'm just going to, so what I did is I went through Wikipedia, just, I just look at, you can, there's a Wikipedia article that is a list of Scottish clans. That is the name of the article. And if that clan has a Wikipedia article attached to it, you can, it's a hyperlink. So you click on it and you go to the clan website and you just find out where were they, or the, by the way, not the clan website, not their official website, the Wikipedia article for that clan. And you, and almost I mean, the vast majority of there had any interaction with the Jacobite rebellions it's mentioned in there under a subheading. Not a different article, just a subheading within that article. So that's all I did. I went down the list of Scottish clans. If I had a hyperlink, I clicked on it, went to the clan Wikipedia article, scrolled down, looked for what side they were on in the specific rising, and then went to Google Maps, which I made a specific Google Map for this, which I will have a link to on the Scottish Clans Facebook page. And you can you can look at it and then I also have on the for the last episode I I posted a link to the 1745 Google map. So I made two different Google maps, one for the 1715 rising and one for the 1745 46 rising. 
And so what I'm not giving you here is a history of the rising. I'm talking about the rising as it relates to clan loyalties and which side they, they sides they picked. And and how we and what compare and contrast we see between the two different risings. Y'all there there were more than these two risings. There was a small one in 1719. You could trace the Jacobite movement back into the 1600s. This is not meant to be a, a, a thorough overview on the Jacobite rebellions. Just took the two major ones, 1715, 1745, compare and contrast, using Google Maps. Okay, so with that explanation out of the way, here's my, my initial take on... 1715 as as opposed to what I learned from the 1745 map as I just look at it I look at the geographical distribution of which clan yeah for for Jacobite clans I, I made them a red marker for Hanoverian clans it's a blue one if the clan was split I made it yellow <clears throat> and if they were uh, neutral I made them gray and so I can kind of get a, a feel just by looking at zooming out, looking at the map of Scotland with all these different markers, how the the geographic distribution of these clans laid out. And there, and on the forty five, I mentioned that it was hard to tell a geographic trend between who chose which side. And I'm saying that not only is it hard to tell between Highland and Lowland, but it's also hard to tell between within the, within the Highlands. Within the lowlands, it doesn't seem to be much, much coherent pattern there. Now, if, if you two use the links and use my work that I've done, and you see for the 45 rebellion, and that's what I'm talking about specifically here, if you see patterns, please message me on Scottish Clans and let me know. Now, when the difference there is when we go to the 1715 rising, it's different. I do see patterns. First of all, it looks like we had a much more thoroughly Jacobite Scotland. It just looks more lopsided. If you go to the 1745, I've got both of them open on the computer in front of me. You see the colors more mixed. It looks like, and, and I actually broke this down on a, on a, I just made lists of each thing here. Um... So for, I'll give you the total numbers. For the 1715 rebellion, Jacobite clans numbered 59. 59, just using Wikipedia, which I got it. There's limitations there. I got it. But just using what I could find in a quick hurry allowed me to cover a lot of ground in a small amount of time. I've got 59 clans that were specifically said they joined the 1715 rising on the side of the Stuarts, the Jacobites. For numbers in the Hanoverian clans in 1715, I have 19. For those who are neutral in the 1715, I've got five. It, and, and I only mark them as neutral if it specifically says they were neutral. If it does not mention which side they joined or any involvement, I left them completely off the list. And for me to list them as split, it, I had to specifically see that it mentions there's people on either side. And I've got three, Buchanan, Gordon, Matheson, and, I would, and uh, I've actually would all also add Macintosh. I believe the Macintoshes were split in both risings. So there you have it. And so really where the number is different, so for the 1745 rebellion, the number of Jacobite clans is, is, is significantly less, about 17 less. I've got 42 Jacobite clans where it specifically says they joined the Jacobites in that rising. I won't list them unless it specifically says it. For Hanoverian clans, it's, very, it's a lot closer, whereas the 1715 rising had 19. In the 1745, there's 21 clans that specifically mentioned joining the Hanoverian side. In the 1745, rather than... Let's see. Neutral. Give me a give me be please be patient with this. So whereas in the 1715 rising there was five neutral uh, neutral. Brody, Fraser, Graham, McNabb, and McTavish. In the 1745 neutral clans, there were 
seven. So very similar number. And those seven were Maclean of Lochbuie, Graham of Montrose, Rose of Kilrock, Lament, McNichol, Maitland, and Tweedy. Now I might make a note about the Laments being neutral. What the article said was that they were they were Jacobite sympathizers, but they're surrounded by Campbells. And it inhibited them from joining the the fight on the Campbell side, so they did not take an active part. Now, when it comes, then here's something you see very glaring when you look at these two maps compared to each other. 1715, I've only got four split clans where they're joining both sides. For the 1745 rebellion, I have a total of 14. So 10 more. When you, and when, 10 more doesn't make any difference if it's 200 versus 210. But when it's 4 versus 14, the proportion is exaggerated. So when you look at the map of the 1745 rebellion, you'll see a lot more yellow clans on there than you see with the, uh, than you see with the 15. And once again, in the 1745 rebellion, they're scattered all over the place. They're clear down. You have the um, you have the Cochrane kindred down in the vicinity of Ayrshire, and then you have split clans clear up as far north as the Sinclairs up in Caithness. Also, the Guns had people joining both sides. Clear up there, and they're close there centers of power close to each other way up in the far north of Scotland. So it, it really spans broadly the country, which is the same for the Hanoverian clans and the Jacobite clans. Now I'm still speaking about the 45 rebellion, much more split clans than the 1715 rebellion. And I'll try to be very distinct about which one I'm talking about because I know if I switch back and forth too quickly, this could get really confusing. Anyway, that's those are some of the observations on that. So that's what I have by way of contrast. Now, by way of comparison, things that are similar between the two risings, there in both cases there is still the conspicuous lack of presence of any of these icons or markers on my maps south of the Firth-Clyde line. Now, it's not I'm not saying that there wasn't any south of that but it thins way out once you get to that that part now i will say that there it seems like there was a few more that were a few more icons a few more clans represented on the 45 than there were on the 1715 rising that were south of that line in the lowlands now i don't know if that's because they were the, the 45, if there is one single, out of, out of all the Jacobite Risings, if there is one single one that everybody knows about, it was the last one. The one that went down in an absolute ball of flame at the Battle of Culloden in 1746. That's the one that sticks out in people's mind when they're thinking about Jacobite rebellions. Now, for those of you Outlander fans, now keep in mind, I, didn't watch, I haven't watched all the seasons, I just got into the, the first season a little ways. But that is primarily dealing with the 1715 rebellion arising. The 1745 is for the people, for those people who are not neck deep in Scottish history and they just know a little bit about Jacobite risings, they probably know about the 1745. And so maybe that's why in the clan histories on Wikipedia, the 45 is mentioned more often. Maybe there's been a little bit more effort to find out where a clan stood in that. And that's why we have more mention of lowland kindreds in the 45 than the, seven, than the 1715 rising. I don't know. All I know is, and it's, but it's not drastically more. It's a handful more south of the, the Firth Clyde line on the, that I have on my map as I'm just looking at it. And so... And, and most of the ones I see south of that line, most of them are Hanoverian clans. If I was to draw a line between uh, Glasgow and Edinburgh, and the clans south of that, are the majority of them are either neutral, split, or Hanoverian, with the weight being toward the Hanoverian. Okay, so those, those are some things, some comparison and contrast 
things that I've noticed as I look at these two maps, once again, I just, just by skimming through the Wikipedia articles on clan histories, but I, I think I did make it through every single clan that they have listed with a clan webpage on Wikipedia. Now, I understand that that's not the end-all be-all to clan histories or to scholarly historical research. I, I get it. I get it. I was just trying to cover a lot of ground in a short amount of time and just try to start to see some trends. That's all I was looking for was trends. I wasn't trying to get a comprehensive knowledge of the Jacobite rebellions on a kindred level. I wasn't going for that. Yeah, so that's so take it take all this for what it's worth. And maybe the the thing that is most valuable that will come of this is it'll spark something in one of your minds and you will decide to dig into this a little deeper like Sam Reed has. He's he's made a he I he's he's clearly studied the Jacobite thing more than I have. And so his his feedback on there and the reason why I go ahead and share that with everybody is because I believe that he has something to contribute. I think there's a lot of you listening who probably have something to contribute as well. As I've mentioned before, I don't claim to be, to know everything about everything regarding the Scottish clans throughout history. I know that there's some of you out there who are listening to this who have decided to, you've got like a pet interest in one specific part of the history here, and you just, you're a subject matter expert on it. And so I, I welcome your feedback either through Podbean. Well, I think the best p- the source for that kind of a s- feedback would be through the Facebook page. If you just have a question to ask or some feedback to give, hey, I like the stuff, but your sound is awful. Or, hey, I think you got this a little bit wrong. Whatever, here and there, whatever. You can use the Podbean app. You can use the Apple Podcasts reviews. <clears throat> but if you have... Some no kidding, I've dug into this, and here's some things that you might want to know. Probably Facebook is the best venue for that. I'm trying to think if there's anything else I noticed by mapping these all out on Google Maps. Yeah, I, I think that I think it's similar in both cases that you see this lack of... The, 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 so let me maybe try to sum up what I've noticed between these two. A lot fewer split clans mentioned in Wikipedia. Okay, just Wikipedia. Just take it for what it's worth. A lot fewer split clans mentioned during the 1715 rebellion than the 1745. So the 1745 rebellion seems to have been more divisive about where people stood. Also, there were some notable clan flip-flops. As Sam Reed mentioned, you have the Mackenzies of Seaforth who switched sides between the 1715 and the 45. You also have the McLeods of Slate. I know it's spelled Sleet, but I believe it's pronounced Slate. If I'm wrong, somebody mentioned it. Two, two huge clan, clans that switched sides there. I, you do see, oh, one thing I maybe did not mention, whereas in the 45 I talked about, it doesn't seem to be clear trends geographically, according to who's going with what side. In the 1715 rising, it seems that right around Glasgow and west of Glasgow, but we're kind of clustered around that that area of Scotland, it seems like there's a cluster of Hanoverian clans there. And then not so much between there and the Inverness area. There's almost a, a clear, like it seems like the Jacobites comfortably held the central highlands during the 1715 rebellion. So if you go up into the the, uh, the the Inverness area. And so I'm talking about all of the all of the mainland Scotland that surrounds that Murray Firth, Dornoch Firth, the Black Isle, that area around that geographical vicinity around Inverness. So specific clans by that I mean the Sutherlands, the Switch through my icons here. The Rosses of Balnagallan, the Monroes, the Roses of Kilrock, who did remain neutral in the 45. So that changed. The Grants 
of Frucky, the so the senior line of the Grants. You have the Grants of Frucky, the Grant and the Grants of Glen Morriston, who are kind of the senior cadet branch, if you want to call it like that. So that's and then and and those, I think in the forty-five the Grants were split. So you have the Roses of Kilrock, represented as Hanoverian clans in the seventeen fifteen that later went neutral. During the forty-five, the Grants of Frucky who were in 1715 were Hanoverian or Hanoverian clan in the 1745 were split. Um, those are ch- notable changes. As far as consistently Hanoverian, the Sutherlands, the Rosses, and the Monroes, those are the clans in that area that you see consistently siding with the Hanoverians. Now, if we push up farther north, not a geographical trend because they're kind of outside of that cluster around Inverness, you have way up north, you had the Mackays, who were consistently government troops. And then the one other region I might represent here is the northeastern part of Scotland. So if you're familiar with what used to be the uh, Buchan, the Earls, the Earls, the Cummins used to be the Earls of Buchan. You have the Leslies, you have the Forbes, and you have the Strachans. Strachans, they're not a clan that I've mentioned very much on here. And I, and I t- to tell you the truth, I don't know a lot about them. <clears throat> but it did mention specifically in their history that they sided with the Hanoverians. So those, those clans in the Northeast were Hanoverian clans. Let me also once again reiterate how I chose which to mark them Jacobite or Hanoverian or split or whatever. In some of the, the histories... It specifically says that the clan as a whole, as a group effort of either real or perceived kindred, sided with this side or that. Some of the other histories are not that specific that it was a clan effort. They will just say either, hey, this guy of this surname who was the senior line, who'd be considered the chief of this surname, he sided with this side or that. And they specifically mention it, so I make an icon wherever he... I tried... Well, I'll get to that in a second. Anyway, if it just says this guy of this name was represented on this side or that, I just threw it in there with a marker and a certain color on my map. It does... And that's... I want you guys to understand that distinction. And that goes into that whole thing, were they a clan, were they not a clan? Because some of them, I'm telling you what, they, they keep on... In the history, they keep on talking about this guy did this and his son did that. And they make no mention of, hey, this clan did that. And this chief rallied his clan and did this or that. Um, one thing I'm specifically, something like, and I'll use a lowland clan, okay? The feud between the Forbes and the, and the Gordons. Those are two lowland kindreds. They are not highland clans. Now, both of them might have territory stretching into the highlands. And and I don't think... I read a footnote in a something I was reading by Alison Cathcart one time, and she was talking about this particular region of Scotland. And she says, let's not get too caught up lowland highland. In this part of Scotland, there is a lot of blurry... The, the line was blurred quite a bit. You had people that were living out of the mountains but still spoke Gaelic and who armed themselves with arms and armor that were very similar to what they were using in the Highlands. The Highlands, so the, there's not some magical line where the mountains are and where there's not the mountains. And you know who else talks about this? That's, that was from Alison Cathcart. Um... Michael Newton, who we've mentioned also several times on this on this podcast, he mentions that he talks about some of the the areas in the lower, the southern highlands to the east of Loch Lomond, in what what used to be called the Lennox and and the Menteith area, and there's not a magic line of okay you're in the mountains so now you need to speak Gaelic or no you're out of the mountains now you need to switch to Scots. There's that's the line's not drawn that clearly, and and the reason I bring that up is going back to the Forbes and Gordon feud. These are two kindreds who may have had territories. The Gordons had extensive dealings in the Highlands, but they were considered lowland magnates or lords. 
and they're and Huntley Castle, so these are the Earls of Huntley with the Gordons, is in what would be considered Lowland Scotland. But they had a feud with the Forbes in which the kindreds were involved, very specifically. All right, this is a kindred thing. Anyway, that was a little bit of a tangent, but just so you know, I'm I'm seeing the um, uh, the difference in in the histories of mentioning a represent like a specific person with that surname versus mentioning a clan effort on something. One thing I just realized that I I didn't do I mentioned specific Hanoverian clans in the Inverness and northeastern area of Scotland. And then I said there's. I also said there's a cluster of Hanoverian clans around Glasgow. I just maybe I'll take a couple of seconds and tell you who they were. You have so on the to the to the northeast of Glasgow you had the Foresters. To the southeast of Glasgow you had the Carmichaels and if this will this will work. There we go. The Douglases. Those are the Douglas of Douglas. Now I don't I don't look the Douglases. There's a time period in in Scottish history where they were powerful on the level that the Campbells later became powerful. And the McDonald's. The McDonald's of the 1400s when in 1411, the Lord of the Isles, the chief of all the McDonald's, could could engage in combat the representative of the crown and all his forces in, in a fairly even battle. That's pretty powerful. The Douglases during the same time period were were of similar power. It, the in, and they in the mid 1400s made a bid for the throne, and probably and I haven't researched all the genealogical lines, but the Douglases probably had as good a claim to the throne as any of the Stuarts did at the time. The Stuarts win, and the Douglases. I think this is the Battle of Arkenholmes in 1455. I, th- I think I, this. I'm just speaking off the cuff, and I didn't research that. But they were they were defeated in battle, and they waned in power after that. Now they didn't go away, and they were still a force within Scotland, but they were never as big as they were during those uh, the first half of the 1400s. Now keep in mind they rise to power because James Douglas. They were, now I'm not going to say that Robert the Bruce made the Douglases powerful. They were already landholding kindreds, uh, a landholding kindred within Scotland. They were, they were, they were, they were somebody. They didn't just come out of nowhere. However, if you read the story of James Douglas and Robert the Bruce, Robert the Bruce, he he was fortunate to have a handful of just a handful of very capable. And very loyal friends. James Douglas was one of those. And the Douglas had prospered. We all know that the, the land holding within Scotland changed drastically when Robert the Bruce came to power. And I've mentioned that in previous episodes. And there are clans who... He, I mean, he remembered who sided with him and who sided against him. And he dealt with those kindreds accordingly when he gained the throne. Not just when he was crowned, because he... He was crowned much more, much longer before he actually really became the king of Scotland. But after Bannockburn, you really, you really see him start to reorganize land holdings within Scotland. And those who sided against him, like the MacDougals, the McRorys, the McNaughtons, they suffered in territory. Those who sided with him, the Campbells, some of the McDonalds, um, and the Douglases got me off on this tangent they were the, they were the ones um, they they benefited greatly so between that and 1455 the Douglases were super powerful and at the set at this time in 1715 with the map that I'm looking at right now I don't know what that means that the Douglases sided sided with the Hanoverians I, I just don't know what kind of a clan they were that that late in the game Right near Glasgow, you had the Cathcarts. I already also already mentioned just recently Alison Cathcart and some of her scholarly work. So she would have come from that kindred. I'm assuming it's a it's her name, not a married name. And so, Doctor Cathcart, if you're listening to this, first of all, I'm flattered, and second of all, um, I'd be interesting to know is that a married name or is it is that your your pedigree, the Cathcarts? Anyway, just curious. The Sempils, who are who were based west of Glasgow, the 
Boyd's south of Glasgow, and the they were the Earls of Kilmarnock, and were based out of Dean Castle. I know that off the top of my head because the Boyd's are found in my family tree. To their west, you have the Montgomerys, Hanoverian clans. The Boyles. Now we're getting close to the the coast here, going still going west. Now right across from Glasgow, right as we head west, we skip across water, and the skip across what I believe is still the Firth of Clyde. You have the Stuarts of Butte, who side with the Hanoverians. That's that's striking, right? That's striking because you would assume that all of the Stuarts would fight to get their kindred back on the throne. So that's a that's a that's notable that the Stuarts of Butte would side of the Hanoverians. It's, it's interesting, but maybe they'd, and this is what I'm guessing, I, I'll, I would bet you a deeper study would bear this out, that they'd made a place for themselves in the Hanoverian um, administration and didn't see much to gain by throwing their hat in with Bonnie Prince. Well, it wasn't Bonnie Prince Charlie in the 1715. Um, I believe it was the old, old pretender himself that, that showed up for that one. But like I said, I haven't studied these really deeply. And then just going north, Campbell of Argyle. The Campbells of Argyle, not in the Glasgow vicinity, but ardent, ardent Hanoverians one way or another. Like I said, the only exception to that that I can think of is in the 1745 Rising when you have the Campbells out of Glen Lyon, who I believe were a branch of the Campbells of Glen Orkey. They they sided with the Hanoverians, or correction, the Jacobites. Other than that, the Campbells were, as far as I know, not only the Campbells of Argyle, but in all their branches, were pretty steadfast Hanoverians. Now, the Campbell of Glen Lyon issue, that's kind of interesting. What I picked up off of the Wikipedia article was the, the, I can't remember what his first name was, but the representative of the Campbells of Glen Lyon it was his, either his father or grandfather that led the massacre at Glencoe. Now, just going back on that slightly, not a ton, just keep in mind that the massacre of Glencoe was not a pure Campbell force. They were government troops on government orders. Now, it was conspicu- conspicuous that several of that force's leadership were Campbells executing the, the massacre. Now, but once again, and I've mentioned this before, but to keep the balance of everything, just in case some of you are just tempted to just lose your minds with Campbell's and their atrocities, number one, they didn't have a, a monopoly on atrocities. Number two, who, when the McDonald's of Glencoe fled from this massacre, pushed out in the winter, winter, where did they go? They went up and over a pass into the next valley where they, where they were sheltered by who? other Campbells. Okay? Just, let's just, it's not, man, the deeper I get into this history, the lines are not clear, and there's a lot going on, and for us to just take up this romantically painted image of the clans this and the clans that, and you were here, and you were there, and you side with them, and you side with them, so you're a dirty rascal because your ancestors are this or that, just, it's, you you might want to just study into it a little bit deeper. Anyway, those are some those are some some observations comparing and contrasting the 1715 and 1745 Jacobite risings as it specifically pertains to kindreds. And I mentioned there recently I hit on the Hanoverian clans more than I hit on the Jacobite clans because the whole country was full of Jacobite clans all over. And yes, there were a few south of the south of, you know, like well into the lowlands to the south. So the, the Maxwells were Jacobites. The the Humes were Jacobites. Now let me make a, a brief comment on border clans at this time. And once again, I was mentioning right there the 1715 rebellion. Border clans. So you got the Maxwells and the Humes. They're border clans. The Humes on the eastern border, the Maxwells on the western border. Maxwell is going back and forth with the Johnstons and holding the office of March Warden for the Western March. Were the Maxwells at this time actually a clan? Because I'm pretty sure I just found that a guy, the, the, the Maxwell who held Kyle Laverock, and I don't even know if I'm saying that right, Castle, 
he joined the Jacobites. Did he have a whole clan behind him? I don't know, because when James VI of Scotland became James I of England, and that is no longer a border. I mean, there's still two different countries. The Union of the Crowns hadn't ha- really happened officially yet. I believe that was 1707. So about 100 years earlier. But still, it's the same monarch. So the meaning of border kind of goes away also. And it might not have. The border reavers may have continued up their, their ways. But that was James, King James's pet project, was the borders and the highlands. And he made a lot more progress with the borders because they're easier to access. Okay, now there is some wild, lonesome country along those border, that border area between Scotland and England. But it's a lot easier to get around in than the highlands are. You get deep in those highlands. That's some tough business. The sea locks cutting in all over the place, jagged peaks, peaks that they don't have on the borders. It's just it's just more rugged country. And maybe that had something to do with why he was, he was more successful in doing away with the border clans. And so a lot of them got shipped off to other places. A lot of them went to Northern Ireland. A lot of them did. Anyway, so when you see the Humes and the, which by the way is spelled home, but I believe it's pronounced Hume in Scotland, and the Maxwells, you see those two there. I don't want to make it sound like you got a bunch of border reavers on their horses and pikes showing up from, we just got done rustling some cattle and now we're going to jump in on the Jacobites. I don't know that that was the case at all. We just might have the vestige, the, the leading family of the surname who still has position and power, and they picked the Jacobite causes in both those cases. Anyway, just some observations. To continue maybe a little bit more on that lowland thing, okay, I mentioned in both the 1715 and the 1745 risings, markers are sparse as you get down into lowlands. You know where, what area was conspicuous to me was the very southwest lowlands. I did that whole episode on the Gallic clans of Galloway. And so I'm thinking of groups like the Kennedys, the McDowells, the McLennans, the McCulloughs, the Agnews, the Hannies, the Fergusons of Kilcarran, the... I don't know, that was kind of a lot right off the top of my head because I'm not looking at a list of them. I'm just looking at a big blank spot where I know that those clans were, and they're not, they're just kind of blank from any kind of Jacobite record. And, and as is a lot of lowland Scotland, south of the Firth of Forth and the Firth of Clyde line. Now, here's one thing I, I heard, and I, I've got a source that I'm going to dig into a little bit deeper and share more on a subsequent podcast. But one, one thing was that the fact that, and maybe this also had to do with listener feedback. So if you're listening to this and you're like, that was totally my comment, and he didn't mention me, I apologize. But the Highlands... Under the Stuart, the Stuart monarchs, they were, they had some strong feelings about what a monarch should and shouldn't be able to do, and most of it was in the should, be able to do category. And they didn't, they did not like the autonomy, of these kindreds. Now they used them, they used them, they used the heck out of these clans, especially in the Highlands where they really had a hard time extending the royal arm. So they would use clans like, the, Mackenzies the Mackays, the Campbells, in the Northeast, the Gordons. And by the way, the Gordons, their influence and and properties and, re, and responsibilities extended west deep into the highlands, okay? Even the Gordons, like I mentioned before, were a lowland clan. I... They had they had an awful lot of business in the Highlands. You had one junior branch of the clan become the Earls of Sutherland and eventually take over the leadership of that kindred and change the name to Sutherland eventually. So, and the Sutherlands were, I mean, they're up in an area that I think there's got to be up until pretty late in the game was a Gallic-speaking area. Anyway, I, can't, I, can't, I totally can't remember. Oh, I just almost couldn't remember how I got on that tangent. The government had a hard time extending. So they used these kindreds, the Gordons, Mackenzies, Campbells, in the Highlands to do their business. They relied on the clan. And I'm not saying they were happy about it, but they really didn't have a lot of choice. And the, the fact that 
they use these clans, like the camels. The camels becoming so powerful, but acting on behalf of the crown, it really was a testament to how weak the crown was in those areas, how impotent they were. And in the lowland areas of Scotland, where we see the records of the clans acting as clans disappear, we wonder if it's because the government was able to competently or adequately, or I don't know what the right word would be, that they became, they were more able to administer the business of government without relying on the use of kindred in the lowlands more than they were in the highlands. And maybe that's, that's just starting to train a thought down a road. Um, let's, let's see where that, let's see where we, a little more research could take us on that. Anyway, I think it's time to wrap it up. I hope you've liked this. Those of you who get, who've learned probably a little bit about the Jacobite rebellions through Outlander, which virtue of shows like that is they introduce you, even if they don't ever claim to be very scholarly. And I'm not telling you that Outlander's got all sorts of historical flaws. I'm not saying that, but most of the time the, the entertainment adaptation of history usually has some holes in it, more or less, Right. Maybe a little bit more with Braveheart, maybe a little bit less with Outlaw King. Um, but the, the, the virtue there is that they introduce you to some historical subjects that if you have the desire, you can dive into a little deeper. And maybe that's the virtue of last episode and this episode. We haven't, I, I wouldn't say that we've dived into it deep on a scholarly level. We just try to look at some information and see some trends and and just notice some things. And maybe that's the platform from which some of you can jump off of into some scholarly study on this subject. And if you do, I'd be really anxious to hear what you come up with. But in the meantime, I think that's about all I've got on the subject. How many? How much time do we got invested in this? Oh, we're, we're past the hour mark. This Jacobite series that we've done has really soaked up some attention. I don't know. It's just I think it's such a good platform to talk about clans is in the context that they operated in. So hopefully this has been useful for you. You've caught little bits and pieces about several different clans that were involved on one side or the other in the Jacobite Risings of 1715 and 1745. And if I haven't quite got your comments, I still apologize. But if you've got something on your mind and you want to express it, you can go to Apple Podcasts and give me uh, as many stars as you feel like you could give me and still be an honest person and then leave a written review. That's where the value, that's where I really want to see is that those written reviews. Also, you could go to the Podbean, podbean.com. And I, I think the website, if you were willing, if you're ready to go to, it's, I think it's scottishclans forward slash podbean.com. I don't know, mess around with that. You'll get to the website eventually. You'll find it. It's on Podbean. Or there's an app. You can go on the app. In fact, I have to manage all my comments, like interact with you guys when you do make comments on Podbean. I have to do that on the app. And then the third platform is the Scottish Clans Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash Clans of Scotland. I've mentioned that several times that you can go there and send me a message to Scottish Clans. And that's a really good way. And that pops up on notifications on my phone and... So does the Podbean, by the way. So the Apple Podcast, it doesn't let me know when I've got when I've got uh, reviews. So I just have to check that every once in a while. But those are the ways to to interact. If you've got things on your mind after having listened to this, one more one more call to action that I would make for you that just I, I'll bet you that a lot of you know somebody who'd be interested in this stuff. And to be honest with you, I've been pleasantly surprised at the number of people who have listened to this who that I personally know that I would not think would be interested in something like this. I was just up visiting. I got a brother up in Cody, Wyoming and we went, we spent a couple of days up with him earlier this week and he had mentioned that he had, you know, and I, okay, maybe he's my brother. I could see him listening to one or two episodes out of loyalty, but, uh, he actually, he's listened to a lot more than that. Now he's not a, I wouldn't call him, out of 50 episodes, 51 now, I wouldn't call him a steadfast listener, but he had listened to more episodes than I would have ever thought that he would have. So kudos to my brother, Craig. Thanks, Craig. 
and uh yeah so you don't know you don't ever know who's going to be interested but you could probably guess which one of your friends or relatives would like this so share it with them either tell them about it and say hey you really need to check this podcast out or you most of the platforms that you're listening to this on have a share method on it usually it's a box a little arrow coming out of it i don't know but usually there's some way to do it so i encourage you to do that and guess what i'm going to talk about on the next episode i have no idea i've got a big huge bowl of things that I could jump into, but I don't know which one I'm going to pick yet. So stay with me. Tune in next time for this. And until then, this is Clint Edwards saying thank you for joining me and hope you're with me next time. Bye.